So we're in this series, it's called Hidden in Plain Sight. We're in parables, parables of Jesus all summer long. And uh, as we dig into the parables, we kind of want to frame everything that Jesus says around two questions. What does he tell us about our relationships? Because if Jesus is going to teach, he's going to teach us something about who we are and how we relate to each other. And what is he telling us about God and God's values and how we can understand the character of God a bit more fully? And so just to remind you where we are, we've been in Luke 14 for a couple of weeks, and this is the setting, okay, the whole chapter. On on one Sabbath day, Jesus went to eat dinner in the home of a leader of the Pharisees, and the people were watching him closely. And he tells a few stories while he's at dinner. We talked about him last week a little bit. He heals some people before dinner, and he he takes care of some business. And, And in this entire chapter, it's really building to the story that we'll talk about today. And in the middle of this social occasion, he's the guest of honor. He's been invited to talk about what he thinks and how he sees the world and what his rabbi stuff is all about. And in that setting, first we talked about last week how he called out the people who showed up to dinner and wanted the best seats for themselves. He calls them out right in front of everybody. It's great. It would have been tension-filled, I'm sure. And if you love a dinner that's tension-filled, then you ought to read Luke 14. You know, I mean, if you're the kind of person that shows up at the family dinner and says the thing that nobody wants to be hearing, and you're the one that does that, then you and Jesus would get along. And so he, he does that. He calls out these people who kind of jockeyed for the best seats. And then he takes his sights and points right at the host. And he says to the host, hey, you know, when you have a dinner, don't invite, well, let me let you read it. He says this, don't invite your friends and your brothers and relatives and rich neighbors. Guess who's at this dinner? Right. This gentleman's uh, friends and brothers and relatives and rich neighbors. And then he says, for they will invite you back and that will be your only reward. And so he's called out the guests. He's called out the hosts. And as he does this, Um, just keep in mind this, even though it's tension filled and it feels like Jesus isn't being a very gracious, very gracious dinner companion. This is why he was invited to do this. I mean, they didn't know what he was going to say and they didn't know what stories he was going to tell, but the Pharisee and the other people that are there, important religious muckety mucks or whoever, they want to know why Jesus has a following And they want to know what he thinks about who God is and how God operates. They want to know this. They don't like it. And they don't like what he says. But they want to put him in a setting where they can sort of put him to the test and hear what he has to say. And so he's he's not being ungrateful. I'm sure he was very gracious in many ways. I'm sure he took his sandals off. And I'm sure he was thanking the guests for the food and all of this. But this is why he was invited. And so when we understand that, Jesus then says, instead, invite the poor and the crippled and the lame. We talked about this last week in the blind. Then at the resurrection of the righteous, God will reward you for inviting those who could not repay you. And so Jesus, with just a few broad labels, is describing really the social structure of his culture. And when he does this, he is wanting to call out the different groups and how they are seeing how we relate to them, where they belong. And he's, he's talking about how relationships are made, how we connect with one another, who belongs together and how relationships serve us and what we use relationships for. This social structure that Jesus describes 
It's no different than our social structure of today. We just have different labels, we have different groups, we have different classes, but the same principles apply. How do we use relationships to get what we want and go where we wanna go? All of this is connected, and so when Jesus does this, he, he draws a big caricature of relationships, and he says, be careful, don't invite your friends, your brothers, your relatives, your neighbors. Instead, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind an exaggeration of, of the social divide that we experience even today. I don't know what labels you would use. I mean, these may not change much, but these might change a bit. But before you give much attention to the labels specifically, Jesus is really trying to help you understand that, that look, there is attention given in each of these social circles. And that attention given or that credibility that's extended. This is all about perceived value and how we relate to each other. You do this, and I do this. These social circles, whatever labels you would use, they help us understand how opportunities come our way or what kind of opportunities we give to other people. And sometimes that opportunity is, well, how we said it last week is, who's invited to your party? You know, you gotta listen to the whole message to get that little bit. But we talked about who's invited to your party, who's welcome, who, who's affirmed by you, who do you see, who do you know is you know, bearing God's image and you call that out and, and they, they see you coming and you see them coming and they're glad. All of that happens in this circle. It happens in this circle, but rarely is that gulf crossed. And again, whatever labels you would use. And Jesus is describing something very specific here, a social structure. And when he does so, when Jesus does this, he is using these terms and those terms very specifically. He's talking about friends, these people that we choose to spend time with. You know, it's not your family. He's going to get to that. But he's talking about people that you would call or text or want to go to lunch with without any obligation. These are the people that you would want to hang out with. You make the choice yourself. And then he talks about brothers. And this is a little tricky in the translation. Adelpho is the name. It's where we get the, the word Philadelphia, same, same root. These are people who think like you think, vote like you vote, have the same religion as you. They're people you have a, a unity with around ideology and values. And then he says, of course, then there's your relatives. You're stuck with them, right? What are you going to do? I mean, everybody's got a few that you're really, really glad's in your family and a few that you think, ah, I guess, I guess they're just, they got, they got the name, they're in. And then he mentions rich neighbors. Of course, we know who they are. The people that live near us, proximity, of course, is a part of that, but they're well off and we, we want them at our parties. And so when he begins to describe this, you know what he's describing. He's describing how favors are given, isn't he? He's describing how you got a job. You know somebody. You know somebody who knows somebody. And if you know somebody who knows somebody and you submit an application into that pile that sits on HR's you know, email box these days, but whatever, and you 
know somebody that knows somebody that used to work there or is higher up in the company, you are sure to leave a voicemail with that name, with that relationship, with that connection. He's describing how business is done, how favors are passed, and all of these people know it. And he's not describing anything you don't know either. You know it as well. And Jesus is going to address the social structure that we all live in, maybe different labels, and he's going to lobby for a reversal of values. And you get to hear what he has to say and decide whether or not you're up for that. This is the beauty of the gospel, Maya's decision. She has some connection to the life and the heart of Jesus, and she gets to say, you know, I'm in. I I think this represents what life is about. And so I surrender to that. So you you get to see what Jesus says and then decide if you want to operate your relationships in that way. It's a social structure. So now, remember, there's all kinds of tension in the room. Jesus has called out everybody that jockeyed for a seat, and then he called out the host. You know, I mean, the temperatures rise, and everybody's wondering. I mean, there's some people doing everything. Can we just eat? I thought we just came to eat. And if you're one of those people, I would be too. I'm kind of a peacemaker at heart every now and then. Every now and then something rises up and I come at you. But for the most part, for the most part, I'm a peacemaker. And, uh, and so if, if you're a peacemaker, then you identify with this next person. He, the tension's in the room. He's called everybody out. Nobody's unscathed. And this guy says this. One of the guests sit down and he says, well, how happy are those who will sit down at the feast in the kingdom of God? He hopes that he's just sort of... Can we, can we all just get along? You know, he's that guy, right? And this is what he says. One of the guests sitting at the table heard all of this, and he said to Jesus, will not it be great when we all sit down to have a meal together in the kingdom of God? Uh, one translation says, won't it be great when we all sit down and have bread together? And everybody's in peace, you know, and this is what he hopes for. And Jesus, he's not even close to done. He is just warming up. And remember, that's why they invited him. He's trying to ease the tension, and Jesus says, just watch. And this is what happens next. Jesus replied with this story. Now, this is the main event. Everything else has been a preview. It's been a preview because Jesus has said things like, hey, you know what? When you show up, you know, he's kind of saying when you and when you and when you throw a party and when you come into a dinner, he's he's sort of just giving little anecdotes Those were the the previews before the main attraction. This is the main attraction. And they know it's the main attraction because Jesus is a rabbi. And when a rabbi says, a man prepared a great feast, everybody stops and says, here it comes. Rabbis don't tell stories for entertainment. They can be entertaining, but if that's what you got out of it, then you surely miss the, the golden nugget right in the middle of it. Rabbis tell stories to change hearts and minds, to convict. And that's what Jesus does. And so he tells this story. A man prepared a great feast, and he sent out many invitations. This was the the cultural norm. Uh, It sounds like in the, the tenses that are in the NLT, the New Living Translation, that this happened simultaneously, but it really didn't. Um, he would have been planning a great feast and eventually preparing it before he'd be actually cooking the food and setting the table. He would have sent out invitations, and those invitations would have been greeted with either a refusal, I'm busy, I have a thing, or a normal RSVP, a little you know, text back or an email or whatever. 
in first century terms, of course, but they would have said, yeah, we're in, we're invited. And this man, of course, prepared a great feast. There's another version of this that's in Matthew, and it was a wedding feast. And if that were the case, it would have been the biggest feast, the biggest meal that they would have experienced, not just that year, but maybe in years. And so a man prepared a great feast. Then Jesus continues, and he says this. When the banquet was ready, he sent a servant out to tell the guests. This also was normal. Small community, hometown. Servant would have gone out and just yelled into the backyard or knocked on the door or whatever. Said, hey, you, today's the day. This is it. Everything's ready. It's waiting for you. Come. The banquet is ready. This is exactly what Jesus meant when he began his ministry, and he said, the kingdom of God has arrived. It is here Everybody's looking around and says, I don't know, Rome's still in charge. What does he mean? Nothing has changed. My life still is as horrible as it was yesterday or as great as it was yesterday. I was fine yesterday. Now he says the kingdom of God is here. What has actually changed? This is a question that you ought to wrestle with if you're a follower of Jesus. What has changed? What has changed if you've walked with God for years? What's different now? Jesus said when he began his ministry... The kingdom of God is here now. Not it will be one day, I mean, in full one day for sure. But it is here now. What's different now for you? And what Jesus teaches in this parable ought to make you stop and and wrestle with that question a bit. What's different now? What's different now? So the banquet's ready. But they all began making excuses. One said, I've just bought a field and I I must go inspect it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five pairs of oxen and I want to try them out. What? Um, I mean, really, who wants to try out an oxen? It's an oxen, right? What's it going to do? It's going to do oxen things. Please excuse me. Another said, I just got married, uh, so I can't come. Now, that, that one I get. That's legit. So, but honestly, all of these, of course, Jesus makes up. He pulls them out of thin air. Uh, because this is his story, and he can do that. He can, he can say whatever he would like. He's the one creating the parable. And, of course, these are ridiculous excuses, ridiculous ones, and they don't make any sense at all. When some of you hear about a gathering or a party that happened and you weren't invited... You weren't a part of the guest list. Somebody mentioned it at work or uh, you saw a picture on social media or something. Um, we, have, we have a name for that, the, the feeling that you might have when you see all that. Do you know what the name of that is? Yeah, 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 it's FOMO. Um, who knows what FOMO is? You know what FOMO is? It's fear of missing out. How many of you occasionally have some FOMO? Let me see your hands, Okay. Mostly uh, extroverts, maybe not necessarily, but often it is. FOMO is this, this feeling. We feel left out. We feel left behind. We think something's going on. We didn't get to be a part of it. This is, this is the feeling. These people that Jesus is describing, they did not have FOMO. No FOMO. None at all. They had a different thing. There's another name for a different thing uh, that we all experienced maybe during COVID a little bit. Um, you know, I... I haven't had COVID yet. I'm just waiting for my quarantine still. Three years later, I'm wait, I, want, I, don't want, I don't want COVID. I wouldn't mind a quarantine. And if you, <laughs> if you would like a quarantine, then instead of fear of missing out, you experience what they call JOMO, uh, which is the joy of missing out. Right. 
And the joy of missing out is, uh, I mean, for, for a lot of introverts in the room, uh, there's a t-shirt I saw. I'd like to get it, but it would be so offensive, hard to wear. Uh, there's no joy like cancel plans is what it says. <laughs> and and these, these three people, they had some Jomo, lots of Jomo. They're like, I mean, here, here's what they're thinking, okay? Look, when you look at the excuses that they, that they gave, it's obvious. I would rather be doing anything, anything than going to your, I'd rather hang out in a field with some oxen <laughs> than come to your banquet, right? This is what they're saying. And Jesus makes this painfully clear. And then the story continues. The servant returned, told his master what they had said. And the master was furious and said this, go quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and invite, to see if you recognize the groups here, the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. After the servant had done this, he reported, I mean, they all came, they're here, but we still have some empty seats. So what did that mean? That more than three people said no, right? Most everyone said no. We've even invited all those people but we still have room for more. So the master said, go into the country lanes and behind the hedges, the country places. I guess he invited all the city people. Now they're going out in the country and urge anyone you find to come so that the house will be what? Full. This is who I want to come. Anyone. Everyone. You. You get to come. He would invite you. I, mean, I don't know what your deal is. I don't know what your thing is. I don't know what your baggage is. I don't know what your history is or what keeps you from thinking that God's love isn't for you or enough for you or that you're not enough or that you have to perform your way in. I don't know what it is, but I know this, that when Jesus tells this story, there isn't anybody that would have heard it that thought, you mean I, am I invited? Jesus says, yeah, yeah, yeah. In fact, we're going we're gonna to get everybody to come, everybody. And this anyone is what makes his next statement so uh, sting, sting so harshly. He says, who, who can come? Anyone. We want the whole house to be full. For none of those I first invited will get even the smallest taste of my banquet. Every person present at that dinner. Now, now we're out of the story. Now we're back to dinner. Every person present at that dinner knew exactly who he was talking about. You thought it was tense before. I mean, I think the food wasn't even eaten at this dinner. I think their appetites were lost. First of all, he calls out their values in this way and in that way, and it's clear that it's just bouncing off the hardness of their hearts. And now Jesus tells a story that says, there's gonna be, you're right, it's gonna be an amazing dinner, you're not invited. And he didn't mean, I don't believe, that you're not invited. He's telling this, of course, so that they would have an understanding of the kingdom of God. There's only two responses to this parable, only two. One is deep, deep offense. How dare he? How dare Jesus draw lines that exclude me? How dare he say something about who I am and what my values are? Deep offense. But the other response is the one that Jesus invites us to engage in. 
and that is thoughtful reflection about our values, about how we see the, the social structure and how we understand how these relationships work, about who's invited to our party, about who we know and who we see. What Jesus is saying to the people at this dinner couldn't be more clear as he describes these groups of people. He's saying this very plainly, your values are superficial. And not only that, they're self-serving. How you see people, you don't really see them as people, Jesus tells the guests of this party. You don't see them as people. You see them as a means to an end. And this means to an end for you is, is not just about your success or, or your position or your status or your job or your finances or who knows who or the job that you hope to have one day. It's not just about that, but it's also about your comfort and you're concerned about you. And the values by which you have chosen to operate, they're superficial. They're based on wealth and who knows who and who has status and who you feel like you cannot offend, it's gonna cost you in the long run. And I know, I know the, the, the worldly wise among us listening online, this is, this is the, the protest that we have in our heart, but this is how business is done. This is how relationships are made. This is how things happen in the real world, they say. And Jesus says, I see it all. He's got another parable, he'll talk all about that. In fact, the way he approaches all of that, the business dealings in the real world, well, if you've not read the parable, you'll think somebody just put that in the Bible. No way Jesus said all that. Another week, this moment, Jesus is saying, do you see the social structure? I'm lobbying for a change in your life. Do you see the groups that Jesus calls out? And there's a structure that he wants you to see. It's why he repeats the two groups of people. And he does so in the company of friends, relatives, brothers, uh, rich neighbors of the host. And if you ponder it, you know this, that there is a social structure to every setting that you're in, isn't there? There's a social structure to your work, the people you work with. Even if you work remote, there's still a social structure. There's a social structure to your family, Right? You know who is in each group in your family. Some of you have the, the, the rich aunt, the fun aunt, and then some of you have the crazy aunt, right? This is the one they tell stories about when she's not there. This is the one they tell you to stay away from. This is the one they say, I, you know, I mean, you can go see him if you want, but oh. yeah, I'm going to tell you what it's going to be like. Every family has two groups. Every neighborhood has the person on the street that has a manicured lawn and the expensive cars and the weeds and the dead grass and the big metal chicken in the front. <laughs> and you know, you know how to curry favor with the HOA or your boss or the people that are near you. You know how it works. Jesus is lobbying for you to think hard about the social structure that you embrace and why you embrace it. That when we embrace 
how business is done, often it is because we have superficial values and selfish concern in mind. Every structure is this way. You have the CEO and the janitor, the people who know the names of people and the people that don't. It's no different than the high school lunchroom, is it? It's no different. I mean, you thought when we grew up and got past all of that, that that was going to be gone, and then you went to work, and you figured out it's the same thing. The names are changed. We're just older, and now we have gray hair, but we're still acting the same way. None of it's changed. And I know, I know, our, our temptation is to think, I mean, that sounds like a social click to me. That's all it says. It sounds like, you know, it's, it does sound like high school stuff, doesn't it? But it goes far beyond it, and this is why Jesus tells the story. It's no different than the rich man and Lazarus. In fact, you can find it on almost every page of the gospel. Jesus isn't describing a social click. He's describing how value is conferred, isn't he? He's describing how dignity is given. He's describing how personhood is emboldened. Because we all know that there are people around us where they fit and how often our behavior can kind of play into the values. And, and Jesus, like we said, every parable teaches us something about his values and he's making a play. He's making a play for your values to be considered and maybe upended a bit and for you to be thoughtful about how we treat each other and how we understand who God is, God's own character. And Jesus just isn't making a suggestion that you and I adjust our values so that we reach a hand across that gulf and help somebody up. That's not what he's suggesting. That's the first step of Christian compassion that we would see a need and feel convicted and you know, if you're part of church life, you know guilt's a great motivator. And so we use that to get you to give and take care of and extend a hand to reach down to somebody who's below you and lift them up. Jesus isn't lobbying for that at all. You understand? You hear me? Jesus is lobbying for a reversal of values so that what you think is important is pushed down and what you think is less important is raised up. And that is different. It's a completely different approach. Nobody, nobody receives a hand down to help. We help each other because of love and compassion and mercy. But Jesus is saying that in his kingdom, the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, use your own labels, use your own labels, whoever's a little less than, whoever's a little disregarded, whoever's name you don't know, whoever you walk by every day and get, pay no attention to, these are the ones who get the honored seats at the table in the kingdom of God. This is what Jesus is asking. Would you, every week, it's every week, something like that. Um, would you be willing to take your social values and structure and say, how does, this, how does this compare with what Jesus has to say? What needs to be adjusted? Two 
two reactions. Deep offense, which honestly is the, uh, most of our first reactions, but then in thoughtfulness and reflection, we go, ah, okay, that was a reaction. I'm just kind of ticked at being called out. Now it's time for me to thoughtfully consider how I see the social structures around me. Who do I see as most important? Have I bought into this? Do I feed it with the way I treat people? With the names I know, the people I pay attention to? I mean, is there somebody that I've walked by every day, the, the same checker at the store that I haven't even bothered to acknowledge is an entire person? What needs to shift and change? And Jesus is suggesting this, not to make you feel bad, not, 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 to, not to condemn you. He's, he's, he's showing love to you and me. He, he wants us to embrace it because of this principle that's deeply embedded in the gospel. If you cling to your life, if you use your relationships as a means to an end, if you decide that you will value those who are powerful, important, who have status, who, who you know, all of those things, if you're going to buy into the family paradigm of the, the, the crazy aunt or the uh, grumpy grandpa and, and have no relationship with them, if you cling to your life, you will what? You will lose it. You will. You will miss the beauty of the dignity of another person. You will misunderstand that you bear the image of God the same as they do. You will miss the beauty of God's creation in every conceivable way. But if you give up your life, if you buy into this reversal of values, then you will find your life. You think you've laid it down. You think you've given up something. You think you've given up the next opportunity for your job or the next play for the friendship that you feel like is going to make you a made person, whatever it is that you are giving up. But Jesus is saying you haven't given up anything because in the kingdom, these are the values that matter most. What I love about the way Scott and Lynn run the food bank is that they do not view their work at our food bank as a, a helping hand to people who are struggling down below. They see them as equals. They see them as dignity image bearers, they see them this way completely. And most of us pass a homeless person and have, if not spoken, silent thoughts of judgment. Unemployment, how could it be so high? People are homeless. Whatever your thought is. And Jesus says, do you see the person? Do you see the dignity? Do you want to reverse your values? One of the people I get to see every week, often in this room or in the lobby through the week here, is, uh, is a gentleman named Nate Goodman. Nate is uh, one of the Wellspring fellows, and he hangs with us through the week, and I get to see him and chat with him. Um, Nate has cerebral palsy and, a, and a, several other conditions that uh, contribute to him. Um, finding himself in a position where he benefits deeply from the Wellspring community. And, and I love Nate. If you have seen the choir, you've seen Nate. Nate's the tall, good-looking, dark-haired gentleman, uh, and he sings the loudest and uh, um, way more on-key than I would ever hope to. And so Nate, I get to see Nate, and I chat with him, and Nate always has a book with him, and the bookmark is somewhere in the middle, and it's a thick book, thicker than books that I read. And Nate was reading a book not too long ago, and I said, Nate, what are you reading? And he said, oh, well, this, this book is um, a book of the greatest Native American speeches ever given. 
And it was one of those moments when I interact with one of the, the folks of the Wellspring crew where I just kind of thought about my own lack of intellectual pursuit and wondered, uh, goodness, I would love to be as smart and thoughtful as Nate. And I said, Nate, do you like the book? Do you have a favorite? His favorite was a speech given by Tecumseh. Um, and he rattled off a few quotes from Tecumseh without even opening his book. And I said, Nate, that's incredible. I should read that book. He said, you really should. And I have not picked it up yet. And I said to him, Nate, why do you like this book so much? And he said, in school, you learn history from a European-American point of view. But I like to learn history from people who have been conquered Now, you just let that sit there for a minute. Nate's embraced this reversal of values. What would happen if you learned history from people who have been conquered? What does Nate know? Nate knows that those who are in power, that those have the, the ability to get textbooks printed or be in charge of the narrative, they have a version to tell you, and the version benefits those who are in power. Nate wants to hear the story from people who had to suffer. I can think of no better way to summarize the gospel. And I bet at least once a day since I had that conversation with Nate, I've thought about that statement. Nate brings this perspective to my understanding of faith that resonates with the words of Jesus. And so you have a social structure. Are you willing to upend it? Are you willing to ask the question, Lord, where have I kind of fallen into the trap of the people who attended this dinner? And Lord, would you give me the wisdom to move some of my values around and maybe move from a superficial place to something a little bit deeper? Let me guide you through a prayer like we always often do here at Castle Oaks. Lord, we... Uh, we see this, this incredible uh, dinner take place in front of our very imaginations. Jesus invited into this room. Jesus offering these teachings that challenge the status quo, that upend the very things that make the religious leaders of the first century have status and power, that keep people from the grace of God, and in that setting, Jesus pulls no punches and he makes it clear. He gives us a different picture of how things work. Or most of us live in settings and workplaces, even families, where power is revered, where status is king, where wealth I mean, makes the world go around, right? This is what we're taught, often how we think. Lord, are there some places in our lives and in our hearts where these values need to be upended and changed and shifted? Lord, do we need to learn history uh, from those who have been conquered to understand the depth of what it means to suffer? If we hear that story, how does it change our understanding of who we are and where we've come from?
Lord, could it be that whenever we have reached a hand down to someone, we've reduced dignity just a little bit? And we've even emboldened our pride in ways that is counterproductive. Lord, I find the teachings of Jesus in Luke 14 to be immensely challenging to my heart. And I wonder how being a part of this this culture and this world and this place where we all take up space and breathe and have our lives has hardened my heart to the truth of the gospel and the values that Jesus talks about. And so, Lord, I pray that this week as I pass people on the street, in the store, as I interact with friends and family, Lord, would you just give me a bit of a nudge when those values seem to be at odds with what Jesus has to say. Lord, help me to set aside whatever deep offense rises up in me and makes me defensive. Help me to surrender a bit to you and and maybe ask a different question. What would love look like today? So for some of us, it will look like compassion and giving. It'll look like paying attention, learning a name, hearing a story. For some of us, it will look like forgiveness. For some of us, it might look like picking up a, a book that we would rather not read. Would you shape us that we would love like Jesus? And we pray that as we do that, your kingdom will grow first in us, a little bit deeper, a little more fully in our hearts. Lord, the last thing we want to do is be self-oriented and superficial people taking up space. Help us to love like Jesus loves us. Lord, help us to receive that love and build our life on it. Lord, we ask this in the powerful name of Jesus. We all say together, amen.